Hello, this is the Sensitive Matters Podcast, a podcast bringing empaths, perceptive people, creatives, unique projects, and sensitive matters into the spotlight. Join us for meaningful conversations that inspire and have the power to gently create awareness around sensitive and important matters such as mental health, conscious consumerism, sexuality, spirituality, ethical business, and much more. I am Christina Zipperlin, founder of the ethical jewelry brand Ananda Soul. I'm a highly sensitive human who values community, creative and spiritual exploration, and ways to make a positive impact. I'm also a psychology student and mental health and LGBTQIA advocate. We're tuning in from the magical island of Bali, where I've lived for over 12 years and is the home of my jewelry company that strengthens and gives back to the local community. Thank you for joining us for these conversations as we, together, explore sensitive matters. And now, enjoy the episode. Hello, and thank you for joining us for Sensitive Matters. This podcast is brought to you and made possible by Ananda Soul Jewelry. I created Ananda Soul in Bali over 12 years ago to offer heartfelt, intentional jewelry that works with the community I grew to know and love on the island that has become my home. Ananda brings creativity, respect for Balinese ritual, and a wish to give back to the local community to everything we do. To learn more about our story, ethics, and to receive $15 of your first order when you sign up for a newsletter, head over to anandasoul.com. Hello and welcome to Sensitive Matters. Today we have with us a very special guest, Nancy Arany. Nancy is a writing coach and workshop leader who has helped countless writers access their own unique voice and create a safe space for self-expression. Nancy has worked with various institutions such as Harvard University, Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health, and Omega Institute, among others. She has written an amazing book called Memoir as Medicine, in which she blends her own moving stories with powerful prompts, inviting writers to tap into the healing power of writing your messy, imperfect, unruly, but gorgeously yours life story. Welcome to Sensitive Matters, Nancy. What an honor to have you. Oh, thank you, Christina. Meanwhile, unruly is the hair. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. We're messy, mm. but you know our stories are messy and yeah. unruly. And if we're trying to contain them and try to control them, that's uh, that's school. That's what teachers did to us. Yep, we have to do that damage yep. and just go at it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yes, <laughs> definitely. have had some of that. It's okay. I'll guide us through a few breaths just to land in our bodies here and in this space. So if it feels safe and comfortable, and for anybody who's listening, same thing. If you are in a space where you can close your eyes, go ahead and do that now. 
And just taking a moment to notice what is happening here right now in this precious body. Any sensations, any thoughts. And gently bringing the awareness down into the sit bones, the thighs, and noticing the support underneath you how there is absolutely nothing you need to do about being held there. Really allowing that to settle for a moment. Maybe you notice how the weight of your body sinks in just a tiny bit more. And bringing the awareness to the breath Again, noticing how there is nothing we need to do about the fact that we are breathed. And just in that same sense, with us being here together today, trusting that there is something happening through us and all we do is show up for it and trust and be real. I'm taking one more deep breath. And exhale. And then gently coming back and you're welcome to open your eyes. Wow. <laughs> you are good. Oh, I think we that was beautiful wow thank you we were only just met in person here now and i've been diving into your work which has been such an honor to feel your your realness and your your sparkly eyes and heart like through all that you put out it's really palpable and yeah, I'm curious in your in your own understanding how how did you become this real or how did you not become the opposite? <laughs> and um how did that then unfold into into the writing journey and into the guiding others to write? You know, I think the realness, I, I think like a lot of artists, writers. If you feel um, on the outside looking in, if you feel fringe, if you feel different, you have a choice. And that is either to shut down and hide, or in my case, I became loud and funny. And it was like, no, you're not going to leave me out. I'm going to make you love me. And I think, of course, I wasn't conscious of this, but I think what I did was to make people feel comfortable and that they, they wouldn't hurt me. I let them know all of my insecurities immediately. I'm too fat. I'm too tall. I'm too Jewish. I'm too this. And then how could you not be nice to someone who's admitting that they're an asshole? So <laughs> I think I must have learned it very early. And it was a defense, but it was a survival mechanism as well. But I also grew up in a family. They, they, did, they made a lot of mistakes. But one of the things they did well was they really honored 
who I was. I never was told, um, don't say that, or you're going to wear your hair like that. I married someone just like that. He has never said, I can't believe you said that. I can't believe you're wearing that. Why did you not? I would not have married somebody that would have challenged any part of me. The core of me is feels very validated. The very first thing that I wrote, I was probably seven and it was my mother's birthday and we weren't allowed to buy Hallmark cards. We had to make our own cards, which was a gift unto itself. And I have a sister named Margie and I have no brother. And I wrote a poem. I remember, first of all, I cut out a little hole and I put, a, I drew my face with the curls and a little accordion pleated scotch tape thing that made the head go in and out of the hole. And I wrote, happy birthday to mom, to mom from Margie and Nancy and Tom and Tom. And my mother looked at it and she looked at me and she said, honey, this is wonderful, but um, who's Tom? And I remember rolling my eyes like, and I said, it rhymes with mom. And she could have <laughs> nipped a little right in the bud. She could have said, oh, but you can't do that. There are mothers who would have done that. Teachers, uncles, lots of people. She said, oh, like, how could I be so dumb not to get it? I got validation for all of those kinds of things in my household. And I got validation for being who I was. Mm -hmm. I, I won't tell you the horrible things they did, but that was a beautiful one. And then mm -hmm. I had, I, I knocked teachers a few minutes ago, but I had some very good English teachers who honored me as well. And so the real, and then I think once you've tested real and it works, you are, you are drawing people to you who are also taking the chance of saying, this is who I am. This is what happened to me. And so you are surrounded by a tribe of not phonies. And you start to recognize people who have a mask. And instead of being angry at them, you have compassion for them because underneath you could have been that person. So you just kind of disarm them and try to ask them to join the club. Come on, you can do it. You can be who you are. I know who's in there. Oh, sounds like such medicine for the world. <laughs> Really, we could sure use it now, boy. Mm -hmm. yep. people. Yep. So you asked how I translated it into uh, uh, teaching the workshops. You know, we, my husband and I had a business for 20 years, and um, he had been a nuclear engineer, and I had been teaching in college and in high school English. And we went into this business as it was kind of a hobby, and then it became very lucrative, and we did fabulously for about eight years we made money and then the next 12 years we lost everything and we really were struggling although he didn't care about money he's never cared about money but I had grown up without any and I just loved being rich I was rich for eight years it was unbelievable I recommend it by the way <laughs> hardback books cashmere sweaters it was fabulous <laughs> But then, you know, when I knew that we actually had gone, we didn't go bankrupt, but we closed the business, we sold it. I had to get a job and it was too late for the teaching year had begun. And I just put this little ad in the paper and I said, writing workshop in my home and people came and I basically told them that I'd never done this before. And I had been invited into a big deal writing group in my town before I did this. They were all published writers. They were all fancy schmancy. They were snobs. And I was ecstatic when they called me and said, do you not do you want? They said, we would like you 
to be a member of our, and they'd been meeting for years. I mean, I remember like hanging up and running through the house screaming, I have to lose 15 pounds by Wednesday. Can I just say something to the listeners and to you? You don't have to be thin to be a writer. That is really a sad little commentary on my little body. So wrong. No. So I ran through the house screaming, oh my God, I have to lose 15 pounds. And then what should I wear? What does a writer wear? I can't just go in there like a normal person. I have to wear a writer writing outfit. I wore black. As you can see, I'm wearing black now. And I got there and there were 14 women and they had been meeting for years. And the first person who read her piece, the piece was stunning, beautiful. And when she finished reading, the first person who commented, I'm going to imitate her, sounded like this. You know, Harriet, I felt that your characters were really rather one dimensional. I mean, I couldn't relate to them. And then one by one, everybody in that room said something negative to her about this piece. And of course, I didn't say anything. I was new. I wasn't going to be like a little Pollyanna. And then there was a table of desserts. I love dessert. I love eating. And there was peach cobbler. It was unbelievable. Thick crust, perfect, sweet, hot. And there was haagen -Dazs. When haagen first came out, they came out with honey vanilla. It was unbelievable. And I glommed and I put on a phony face as if I weren't in shock that these women had just hurt a person. And I got home and my husband greeted me and he said, so how was it? And I said, oh, the peach cobbler was fabulous. <laughs> he said, no, babe, the writing. And I said, mean-spirited, actually. They were, they were tough. And he said, are you going back? I said, oh, yeah, yeah, these are my mentors. These are my teachers. So I went back the next Wednesday and another reader read a gorgeous piece. I know good writing. It was beautifully written. And guess what happened? Same thing. This woman, another totally different person responded first, but she must have gone to the same surgeon to have her jaw wired shut because she said, you know, Dorothy, I really have to admire your perseverance. I mean, you just don't quit, do you, dear? Oh my God. I swear, I went out to the car and wrote it down. And uh, and then they all said something negative to her. And I sat there. My stomach was like clenched. Yeah, my artist's stomach is going like, oh. <laughs> like, what am I doing here? And then there was this blueberry thing that was unbelievable. And I, I ate and I pretended everything was fine. And I got home with blue teeth. And my husband said so. And I said, you know, they should not have anything to do with creative writing. They should write cookbooks because they're wrong. I mean, that's the worst part. They're hurting people. And he said, you're going back. I said, I'm going back and I'm next. I'm reading. And he went. So I went back and I didn't read an iffy piece. I didn't read something that I felt was in process. I read something I knew was great so that they would think I was great. And they did a job on me. And I have to tell you that even though I knew they were wrong, I took it into my gut and my soul. And when they finished their comments and I thanked them as if, oh, right, I had no idea. Wow, I just had, wow, this is gonna be so helpful. Didn't say anything, just put, kept the tears right back here. Got up to the food table. Did not want to stand there and be phony, but I wasn't going to miss out on the apple crisp either. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> I put it paper plate, which I hate eating out of paper and a plastic spoon, which I also hate eating with a plastic spoon. And I got into the car and I took a bite and Christina, I couldn't swallow. And I didn't write, I tell the story a lot and I don't remember exactly how long it was, but it was a long time before mm -hmm. I had a chance of writing. They, they, even though I knew they were wrong, I just think we give our power over to the wrong people because they were experts and I trusted them and they hurt me. And I, every time I went to write, I was, well, you know, I suppose I don't really have anything. It took me a while and I started writing again and the floodgates opened and I was, I fell in love with my words again. Mm -hmm. They did a job. So I started to say, so then I, I started that workshop. And when the people came, this was my very first time I had taught English in school, but it's very different. You have to grade them. You have to read for grammar. So this was different. And I, I, I the same thing happened. People were tearing each other apart and it just blew me away. I remember being in the grocery store after about four, I did 10 Tuesday nights. But the fourth week, I, I was standing at the vegetable thing and I had a broccoli in my hand. And this gal from the workshop came up to me and she said, can you believe that Patrice is writing a romance novel, all 240 pounds of her? I put the broccoli down. I said to her, I can't think of anyone with a better imagination, with tears, got out to my car and thought, I have failed. I have failed. Mm. This is not working. And then, you know, the whole 10 weeks, they tore each other apart. And I had no idea how to fix it. I didn't, I would say all the good things. I would tell them what I loved. And it was a disaster. And the 10th week ended. And I remember saying, I'm never doing this again. I'm not good at it. I'm going to go back to teaching school. And you know how you have like a little wise person in your tummy? Well, my little wise person said, no, 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 you're going to do it again. And you're going to do it right. And I did, I put another ad in the paper. And when people came this time, I said, look, I've only done this once and I failed miserably, but I learned something. Creativity requires safety. You will be safe here. I have one rule. And that is when you finish reading, we will tell you what we loved. That's what I do. That's how it works. And that's how people get real because they feel safe. Mm -hmm. You're safe. I swear you could, you could fly a plane. You just don't want to be criticized. You don't want to be told that you're not good enough. And most people have been told they're not good enough their whole lives, their bosses, their fathers, their teachers. So if we turn that around, you know, I heard about this. I know this is, I've been talking a lot and it's your turn, but, um, the other day I was at a dinner and people were talking about this. There's a local, not local, but there's a national guy who's been accused of killing his wife and his kid or something. And they were all talking about it and how he's a, he's a pathological liar and everything else. And I, I, I didn't want to hear the talk. It was just hurting my, it was hurting me. Mm -hmm. and, and I remembered that there's a, there was a, uh, a tribe, and I honestly, I don't know where it was, maybe Bali, <laughs> when someone committed a crime, they would form a circle and they would put the guy in the center and he would have to go from person to person and every person had to tell him something good about himself. You tell me which is a better way to do it. 
put someone in jail or make them feel worthy. They won't do a bad thing again. They won't. But we don't have that kind of society. We don't trust that people have innate goodness in them. No. And then it's really hard to show it as well because it's not safe, as you said. It's like close up. And then they commit another crime because they don't they don't have any self-esteem. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Oh, that, that all sings to my heart so much. There's so many things that it deeply resonated. Um, I've been writing for a long time on and off. And uh, I, I've actually worked on my memoir, put it down, started again, put it down. Um, and I'd love to go into some of, some of the things that came up for me later around it. And I'd love to hear your, your take on like, that inner, because you're saying, right, we shouldn't criticize, or it's very damaging to be criticized from the outside. But what I've noticed, and it sounds like that that's what might have happened in that gap that you didn't write, is nobody else needs to tell me anymore. Like, it, it, it's inside, right? That, that inner critic is, like, almost louder than anyone else. And, um, and it's accumulated in ways that are that then like paralyze me. And so I'd, I'd love to hear your take on that because the the medicine piece of your work is so different, right? It's right the opposite of that. Well, drugs, horse tranquilizer. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know that was one line where I was like, oh my God, I love that. You were like, tell your own Mrs. Rosen- Rosenthal or something yeah, like that. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, here's the thing. You know, if you could possibly look the way you meditate, I know that you can get into a space of safety and healing. Mm -hmm. And if you come out of that and you go right to the writing and you treat yourself the way you would your closest friend, your wife, if you would just honor yourself the way you do everyone, I can tell you are goodness, you are gold. So if you could just move out of your own self, which isn't easy, I know it's not easy. But do a meditation and say, I am going to treat myself the way I would treat someone I care deeply about Mm -hmm. and care deeply about yourself. Mm -hmm. And then you might need, are you in a group, a writing group? Because that helps if you're in a writing group. But yeah. If you want to work on the memoir, four or five people, even three people, as long as it's not just two. And you have, you know, an odd number is always good. If you have the rule, just tell me what you love, because you're not ready for the criticism. If you finish the book, then of course you want an editor to say, okay, this doesn't work. This works. But in the beginning, when you're just letting the stuff out and pouring stuff onto the page, you need to have people say, this is blowing my mind. This made me cry. This is gorgeous. No criticism. It will tighten and end right in the middle of a sentence. So, you know, if you want to get back to the memoir, um, you can, and it's good if you don't necessarily know the people, put a notice up in the library or the coffee shop. Writing group is forming. We'll meet in the coffee shop and meet every two weeks and say the only rule is when we finish reading, we'll tell. And, and you know, you can do the prompts from my book. You can do any, everybody can bring a prompt each week. Someone has to bring a different prompt and you write, or if you're working on something, bring the thing you're working on. You have three minutes to read, four minutes to read, and then take notes. And you'll fall in love with what you're working on. But I know the the universal question is, who cares? 
who's going to care about this? Mm -hmm. Well, think about the books that you read. Do you care when there's somebody that you didn't know, but she's being honest and authentic? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden it's making you feel connected and you go, oh my God, me too. Mm-hmm. Our stories are totally different, but our emotional, that's the same. Mm-hmm. Our emotional intelligence is identical. Mm-hmm. So our hearts are identical. Mm-hmm. The only thing that's different is our details of our stories are different. Yeah. All we all want is to be loved, to be held, to be listened to, to be honored for who's in here. We all want that. Everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get yourself a group or come to the vineyard. I know you don't want to go, do you? Oh, I totally would come. Absolutely. I, I, I'm going to get you here. Oh, yes, please. That sounds amazing. Yeah, that, that um, like earlier when you, when you were listing, you know, all the things that made you different, I was like, oh my God, that, that whole piece of like me too, right? I, the whole like, I need to be skinny. Like I was, severely anorexic in my teenage years that's some of of the story that keeps wanting to come out um you know that I'm to to this I'm to that in terms of looks but my piece and um I don't know how that will end but I'm German actually was born in Germany and so that's a huge piece for me huge always has been right for you to be like I see the goodness in you that's one of the toughest things for me that I was born into a land where that has not been the case for that's quite very, some time and so that's why you turned out to be an artist, hmm? why you to be an artist. yeah because you were on the outside because when your heart hurts as I said in the beginning you can either shut down and get numb or you can feel everything and you feel everything and if you feel everything Here's another possibility that might get you going. What if you knew that the book that you're going to write would help people? Mm-hmm. Because you're totally unselfish. And if you thought in your mind, this book could help other 15-year-old, 18-year-old girls who, because everyone, this is universal. This whole thing of not feeling good enough is not, unfortunately, societally, is very So if you could think of it as an unselfish act, it's not your ego that's writing this book. Go away, ego. Drugs. Night, night, ego. You're doing this because you want to help other people because you don't want girls to go through what you went through. And and just think about it. If you had found a book like the one you're going to write at 14, would that have been helpful for you to know that you weren't alone? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So there's the reason. Now you now you have motivation, and now you have a rule, and now you have me, and you're going to call me on the phone and say you're unbelievable. I always say that I don't teach writing; I teach gushing, mm-hmm. and it's really at the end of the workshops, everybody's gushing. Hmm. Yeah, because it's so we're needed. People are so withholding. They're like, you know, oh, that was lovely, dear. You know, I had a mother-in-law, beautiful mother-in-law, elegant, sweetheart. But when I first got her, I remember getting her a dance salad bowl, this beautiful bowl, wrapped brilliantly. And I gave it to her and she said, oh, dear, that wasn't necessary. And she put it aside. And I went, it's a gift. Gifts aren't necessary. They're gifts. You have to open it. So she took it back and she gingerly 
unwrapped the under the ribbon and then she opened the box and then she moved the tissue paper and she looked in and she said oh it's lovely dear I said it's not lovely it's gorgeous now you have to take it out it was a salad bowl it was beautiful and she took it out and she said it is gorgeous and I said now you have to hug me and the woman almost had a heart attack so I moved in on her and I took her arms and I put them around me and I'll tell you by year it took a long time but I think in our 20th year we were hugging each other full on full bodies I, I just that's the only thing she didn't know is that touching gushing hyperbolic they thought I was way too much they were very proper I don't have a proper bone in my body which I'm grateful for actually oh, I'm just in in celebration of your existence I'm like yes that's it, that's it um yeah it like it makes me tear up in the way that my mom I lost my mom when I was 18 to breast cancer and she she was like you she was like let's live let's love like how much can I love like I there was never like a a too much celebrating or too much loving that did not exist in her world and it it's so needed we're like no, the, the critics, they're just everywhere and they're like keeping the emotions composed and not too much and not like not too high and not too low. And then we end up with a society that's chronically depressed and anxious because we're not allowed to show emotions. Unbelievable. That's too, you're too big. That's too much. That's, and so everybody kind of is withholding and you're absolutely right about the anxiety and the depression. People are really unhappy. And one of the reasons they're unhappy is because they came here, I think everybody came here with, uh, uh, the Greeks call it a diamond, a gift. Mm -hmm. They circle and they circle and they circle and they don't dive and do their gift of what they came here to do. Yeah. Most people have to work, you have to get a job, you have to pay rent, you have to, you know. Anyway, you're 18, oh, that was young to lose your mom, especially a great one. Yeah. I had her for 18 years oh. and she's still around. How about grieving? Hmm? Did you, um, did you get to grieve? Did, was there anybody that. I did. It took a long time. And, you know, as I mentioned, I was struggling with anorexia just prior to that. So it definitely. Wow. I'm, I'm like almost 40 and I'm here. I'm like, I'm here. And. I have worked through a lot and I have so many tools. I've I've dived so deeply into mental health and and like all the alternative ways of working with the body. And like I've I've studied with Gabor Mate, I've studied all the different modalities that all on the basis work with honoring, honoring the soul, like honoring that we're a completely undamageable and that whatever gets added on it is is kind of like and I know it makes me think of, of your story right with your son of how it can be so so challenging but I I really really came to learn that one I would never be this strong I would never be this here if it wasn't for it but also that that piece of like there is something in me that never can be damaged ever and so to really have compassion with all the 
all the things that that got added on. So yes, I did grieve, but over probably two decades. Yeah. yeah. Hey, look, there's no time frame for grieving. Grieving yeah. is comes and goes in waves. Yeah. Meanwhile, everything that you have said is has to go into the book. So listen to your recording and just just take dictation from yourself. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, I had I had written something down that you that you mentioned in an interview with my dear friend Elena Brower. And I feel we already have been speaking to that of the of kind of your ability to to fall in love with the realness of people and as you just said you know if they're if they're not real it's like oh there is something underneath and as my in my work as like a somatic counselor it's it's that very thing of of really seeing seeing that undamaged soul underneath right seeing this everybody everybody has it inside they just have covered over with cement and you know it's really a matter of your own patience whether yeah. you're willing to work at it there are some people i guess i'd give up on but um everybody in the workshop that that comes in with a hardened heart uh ends up mush mm -hmm. i'm a mush maker <laughs> you know what story i want to tell before we're done because i think it's really important in in writing mm -hmm. Um, so I, you know, my son, Dan, you mentioned Dan, um, got diabetes at nine months old and at 22, he got MS. And by the time he was 25, he was in a wheelchair. The story was just, and he was always an angry, gorgeous, always had a girlfriend. I always ask women, why do you like angry guys? Because he always had a girlfriend. He was so angry and beautiful mm. and funny. A lot of great things about him but he ended up um having a urinary tract infection that went onto his aortic valve and he ended up having open heart surgery uh, also had brain surgery he had everything and i should say to the listeners by the way that he he did die 13 years ago and so but he he was our teacher he turned out to be quite a beautiful person. Many, many years of saying, why me? Why me? I'm going to kill myself. Why me? But he evolved and became a very surrendered, very beautiful guy. In the meantime, comes home from open heart surgery with his beautiful girlfriend. And I was filming him because there was a point at which I, when he was still walking and he had been a huge ego guy, he had been a, a an acting major at Bard College in New York State. And I just miraculously, it just came to me. I said, Dan, do you want to film this? So we weren't filming it for any goal. There was no end, end goal. In retrospect, it was putting a camera between my terror and his rage, and it worked brilliantly. So I said, do you want to film? He said, yes. Yeah. So I'm filming, and his girlfriend, Sarah, is lifting him out of the wheelchair and putting him on the bed. He has just come home from Mass General. He looks like a cadaver. He's got dark circles. He's skinny, skin and bones. And she's beautiful and blonde. And she's lifting him. And she goes, oh, my God, the, the urine bag, the urine bag, it's, it's caught in the wheelchair. And I'm filming. And she somehow was able to hold him with one arm and flip the urine bag onto the bed. And I filmed everything. So about a week later, I got a call from a gallery in Connecticut in my hometown, and I had moved to the vineyard 
from West Hartford. And he said, oh, Nance, we miss you. You left us. You abandoned us. You got to come back. You got to get on the stage. You want to hear about your writing. want to hear your funny stories. And I said, I have no funny stories. My kid is very sick. I'm crying all the time. Apparently, he didn't hear me. He just said, no, you got to come. Bring your friends. And, and it, it came to me, you know what? I'll bring Dan because Dan will get... I'll have about, I had about 50 hours of film at that point. And if I just show like 15 minutes and I bring him in the wheelchair, he'll get a standing ovation and he'll see that what he's doing is not for naught. So I said, let me call you back. And I had just had a gal in my workshop who had graduated from film school. I called her on the phone and I said, if I gave you a bunch of tapes and I paid you, would you give me 15 or 20 minutes? It doesn't have to have any continuity. I just want to, I just want to show it up on the big screen. And she gave me the most, it was so beyond what I thought. Cause I'd been filming on a little camera. It was so beautiful. Well, the scene where I'm filming and Sarah's putting him on the bed, she cut the part of, oh my God, the urine bag. Christina, why do you think she cut that? Because it's too real and could have embarrassed. Too embarrassing. That is exactly right. So I teach this in my workshop. I tell this story and I ask that question and there are 30 people and 16 people yell out too embarrassing. And my response is the urine bag is the story. Do not cut the urine bag. When you are writing, do not think about your readers and how embarrassed they're going to be. That's the piece that's most brilliant. That's the part that cuts your heart out. That's the piece where you go, oh, my God. Oh, my God, this poor guy. Oh, my God, this poor mother. That's the part. Don't think about how people are going to react. When you are writing, do not think of anyone but pouring the stars, all of your story, all of the anecdotes out of your liver out of your kidneys out of your heart onto the page you are carrying this stuff it is marinating in your body get it onto the page get the rage on the page get every single story out later you can edit and you can say you know maybe that story didn't really fit or maybe it goes over here but when you sit down to write your first 16 drafts just pour the shit onto the page no thinking about people. That's I wanted to tell that story because I think as writers, it's one of the things that keeps people from getting too into the weeds. They're too afraid that they don't want to hurt anybody. They don't want to have people think. They don't want, what will people think? Get rid of that one. What will people think? They won't think, they'll feel, which is what you want them to do. So anyway, thank you for letting me burst through with that oh. story. It's brilliant. It's it's brilliant and so on point. Um, yeah, and and the, what other people think, but what what comes for me in that? What about the people that whose story you also share? Right, this involved your son, like because that's what came up for me. Right, sure, I can I can come to terms with my own things. Where do you bring in feeling comfortable? Like you know, if you had a very tough relationship with a family member for example and they're still alive this is a universal question and a really good one 
one of the things you do is you have to read it to them. You have to give it to them for permission. And if they say no, then you can't do it. And if you were incested and the guy doesn't want anybody to know about it, then you have no book all of a sudden. I suggest sometimes you can write fi fiction. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you combine personalities of three or four different people. And so none of them will necessarily recognize themselves. Annie Lamott says something funny. She says, if you give him a small dick, he won't know it's him. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you have to cut that on this very proper podcast. But we did. It's credit for that. But, but that's the thing. That's a very hard thing is if you're if you're telling the truth about someone that hurt you, then it's sometimes best to either combine personalities, stories, and maybe they won't recognize themselves. But if you're going to go straight for the story, you really can't betray anybody that's alive. You yeah. can't do it. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Getting it all out and then getting the consent. Well, wait till they die or kill them. <laughs> I murdered my mother just to get a bestseller on the New York Times bestseller list. <laughs> so good. <laughs> um, Thusly, I'd love to to talk a little bit about because as guiding you through the meditation, you're like, yes, do that more. And I know that the spiritual component of your own journey has been rather significant of finding Ram Dass's teachings and. And I, I read your piece on the silent retreat, which is so brilliant. <laughs> oh, um, my God. It's the best thing that ever happened to me, I have to say. But I my life was chaotic. And I, it was way before. I mean, now all the spiritual terms are in our lexicon. People say, you know, I mean, I was feeding my kids millet and people thought I was poisoning them. You know, it was just a long time ago. So I found Ramdas. uh and be here now in the, I guess it was 77, which was really a decade after everybody else, but it still was a very fringe kind of esoteric. So the spiritual component, I was very lucky to find a teacher. And I think, you know, he just resonates with me. I've been listening to Alan Watts lately. Oh my God, I love him too. So he was sort of in the fifties and Ramdas was sixties. And uh, it changed my life. It dropped me into my heart. I also smoked cannabis for the first time when I was 30 something. It changed my life. I, I stopped the chatter, the constant chatter. I still have chatter, but I, I was able to drop into my heart and love everyone. And all of his messages were about not judging, about no matter what's happening, it's exactly perfect for it's unfolding perfectly for your journey. So no matter what was happening, instead of pushing it away, which takes a lot of energy, I could embrace it and say, oh, this is supposed to be happening to me. This is a teaching. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a great piece of wisdom that if everybody could see, no matter how horrible the thing is, that it's part of your teaching. And the balance of feeling the broken heart and also distancing yourself a little bit and saying, what will I learn from this? And not, not going numb and not pushing it away, but being in that balanced place of this hurts, I'm going to be sobbing, but wow, I know I'm getting a teaching from this. It may take 18 years, but 
I know there's a, you know, one of the things Ram Dass said, which I loved also was he had a, he had a teacher, the disembodied guy, Emmanuel. Did you ever see the Emmanuel books? You know them. No. Oh, beautiful. They're beautiful. Um, he's a disembodied he's on the other side and he's got great wisdom. And I guess he's been channeled by a woman named Pat Rodegast. And he was one of Ram Dass's teachers. And Ram Dass said to Emmanuel, he said, Emmanuel, I'm, I'm trying to do everything right. I'm trying to eat moderately. I'm trying to meditate every day. I'm trying to think before I speak. I'm just trying to be a better person. Why does shit still happen to me? And Emmanuel said, Ramdas, you're at the University of Life. Take the curriculum. Mm -hmm. Do you love that? That for me, it's like, no matter what's happening, it's like, okay, this is the class I signed up for. This is not an accident. I'm supposed to have this happen. What will I learn from it? If you could live your life like that, then you've got, you could have that balance of feeling pissed, feeling anguish, feeling worried, feeling anxious, but also knowing this is perfect. This is exactly right for my course of study. I came here to be a student mm -hmm. and I signed up for this course. I love that. Mm -hmm. I love it so much. And, and it's such an important message in a world where there's so much competition and like, you know, like being like, oh, I should have done this or I wish I was like that to just be like, nope, this is the life that the soul signed up for. And this is the exact exactly. curriculum. What a beautiful One of a kind snowflake. You are yeah. not going to have the trip of the woman next door. Not going to happen. Nope. Shouldn't happen. Nope. Oh my God. Amazing. Last question. If anybody right now is like, I feel inspired. I want to create. And they're like, but I'm, I'm not an artist. I'm not a writer. I'm not good at this. What's your take on, you know, writing skills, like levels of writing and how do well, I think practice? It's a practice just like right. yoga, it's like uh, meditation and like anything. And like learning language, learning the flute, it's a practice. Yeah. You got to do it and you will get better. And I'd say, read, read, read your favorite people, read what people tell you is great. And they're your teachers too, and imitate them. If you love someone and their writing style turns you on, just write like them, copy, copy their, their style and try to imitate until you jump off and have your own voice. And, and get into a, a workshop that's safe, get into a group where people will say, you know, you're really good at dialogue. You know, you really are good at descriptions so that you can know what you've got in terms of your talent, because you might may not know. But do not say I'm not good at, that's ridiculous. You, that, that I'm not good at, of course you're not good at it. You're a beginner. Now you're gonna get good at it. And you're going to get better at it. And you're going to see that you got better at it. And pretty soon you're going to be your own editor. By the way, this is a good hint. Read your stuff out loud. Read your stuff out loud because you literally hear from a different place in your brain. And you will hear when, when you need another L-Y. You will hear when you have two T's in a row, but you need another T. You will hear when the word purple is too guttural, but you need lavender. You will get really good. I mean, we're all, we have a heartbeat. We, we know rhythm. We have innate rhythm in our bodies. You will know the rhythm when you read out loud and you get better at it. You will say, you know what? That sentence ended three, three words before this and you will become a pro. 
but it's a practice. Mm-hmm. Not going to happen overnight. Mm. Thank you so much. Thank you. For our listeners who I'm sure fell in love with you as much as I did, how can they find your work and everything you're creating? Our website, like the rest of the world, it's Chillmark Writing Workshop, C-H-I-L-M-A-R-K, Chillmark Writing Workshop.com. And I am doing um, I'm doing a workshop at Esalen in May. I don't know when you air this, but I'm doing, and I just, just do you know who Mirabai Bush is? She wrote the book with Ramdas, um, Walking Each Other Home. So Mirabai is a meditation teacher. So we're doing something together in September. And in September, I'm also doing a workshop at uh, Omega. And the one that I'm doing with Mirabai is at Kripalu. And then here on the vineyard in July one and in August one and in, in October one. So there are four days. People come down on a Sunday night. It's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, nine to noon. And then you go to the beach or you go walking the trails or you do whatever you want to do. And you meet and fall in love with a whole bunch of other writers. And I will fall in love with you. Amazing. Thank you so much, Nancy. Thank you. Thank you. This has been an honor, a privilege, a pleasure. You are just a beautiful. I'm so happy I got to see you and feel you. And you're going to write your book. I'm going to get you out here. I'm serious. Yeah. No, I can feel it. I'm like, I'm in my head. I'm like, (laughs) thank you for joining us for Sensitive Matters. If you haven't had a chance yet, please subscribe on Spotify, Google Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast from. And if you have a chance, please rate and review if you're listening via Apple Podcast, as it really helps more people discover the show to listen to these incredible conversations. This podcast is brought to you from Bali and made possible by my ethical jewelry company, Ananda Soul. You can check out our website and all of our ethically handmade jewelry at anandasoul.com. You'll also receive a $15 gift card on your first purchase when you subscribe to our newsletter, so make sure not to miss out on that as well. Thank you again for joining us, and we look forward to sharing more of Sensitive Matters with you.